0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world, we're always fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground and in jurisdictions all around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe with updates from ELA members in each region. Today, we're gonna to chat with two of our members, one in New Mexico and the other in Illinois. Joining us on the program are Jeff Lowry, an attorney at Rody Law Firm, and Elizabeth Hall, a shareholder at Better Price. Today, our guests are gonna discuss what New Mexico employers might expect or be concerned with once recreational cannabis becomes legal in New Mexico in 2022. Jeff and Libby, welcome to the program. How are we doing today? Hi hey Pete, doing well.
1: We're great. Thanks for
0: having us today. Okay, so let's get this discussion started. So this spring, New Mexico enacted a recreational cannabis law. And the lawyers from our firm in New Mexico, Rohde, they're really interested about what potential implications this can have on employers. And I know that something similar happened in Illinois. and Illinois enacted recreational marijuana in June of 2019. And then it's been allowed in Illinois since January of 2020. So Libby, you're going to be a help in this conversation to kind of point out some of the things that Jeff and his firm should be looking at and how they're going to guide their employers. So let's start the conversation, first of all, by talking about how similar the situations are between the two states. Sure. So let me give a little bit of
2: background of what happened in here in New Mexico. The recreational cannabis law was enacted in a special session the governor was not able to get that law passed in the regular session. And so this spring, she called a special session just for the purpose of enacting recreational marijuana as a law in New Mexico. And that law comes several years after New Mexico enacted the medical cannabis law. So that law was passed in 2007. And so one of the issues that we're interested in is how those two laws, the medical cannabis law and the recreational cannabis law, will interact with respect to employers. And so one of the questions I had for Libby was, did the recreational cannabis law in Illinois come after a medical cannabis law had already been enacted?
1: Yeah, so Illinois' medical cannabis law was enacted in 2014. And as Peter referenced earlier, our recreational cannabis law followed and became effective in 2020. Our recreational law was part and parcel with our governor's campaign for election, Governor Pritzker. It was one of his campaign promises, and he acted on it. So we have been grappling with these issues for about a year and a half at this point.
2: So one of the big questions that our clients are facing is what to do about zero tolerance policies. The new recreational cannabis law very specifically allows employers to maintain and enforce zero tolerance policies regarding the use of cannabis or cannabis products. So that means that employers can discipline or even terminate employees who test positive for marijuana metabolites. In other words, if they fail a drug test for marijuana. And the complicating factor in New Mexico is that the medical cannabis law that's also still in effect has a provision that employers cannot discipline employees for merely consuming cannabis if they have a valid medical cannabis card. Now there are exceptions for safety sensitive positions but you know we have this tension here between the two laws with a new law that expressly allows for zero tolerance policies and an older law that prohibits the application of such policies if an employee has a medical marijuana card, with some exceptions. So how does that compare to the situation in Illinois?
1: Well, things are a little bit different here. At the outset, under our medical cannabis law, an individual cannot be penalized by an employer because they're an authorized user of medical cannabis or a designated caregiver of someone who is an authorized user, unless doing so would violate federal law or cause the employer to lose a federal license or benefit. So in that regard, we seem to be similar, but our medical cannabis law also allows an employer to have rules which govern the use of medical cannabis, including to have a zero tolerance and a drug testing policy, as long as the employer does not discriminate against medical cannabis users in a way that is different or that results in differential treatment of them as compared to other employees. Our recreational cannabis law is similar. Our law specifically states that an employer can have reasonable zero tolerance and drug-free workplace policies and other policies regarding drug testing, smoking, consumption, storage, and the use of cannabis in the workplace and while on call. Notably, our law does not define what is reasonable. So that's something that we've had to work with our clients on a bit. We think it needs, at least as of now, that such policies have to be in writing and you have to explain to employees what your expectations are and what they can be disciplined for. And of course, those policies should also be distributed. So we don't necessarily have the same conflict between our two laws, it sounds like you do. One of the big questions though that remains unanswered in Illinois is whether an employer is required to accommodate a medical cannabis card holder if they fail a drug test. So, for example, do you have to allow them to fail that drug test because they are disabled and use medical cannabis to treat that disability under our Illinois Human Rights Act? And we don't have an answer to that question as of yet.
2: So putting aside the issue of, you know, whether zero tolerance policies can work with the medical cannabis law, what I'm hearing from employers is whether recreational cannabis and the you know the fact that more people are likely to start using marijuana recreationally means that zero tolerance policies no longer make sense you know for years employers would advertise and, and even pride themselves on having a drug-free workplace they would do pre-employment drug screening and they would enforce these zero tolerance policies you know after recreational marijuana becomes legal do those blanket policies make sense anymore you know i know for federal contractors and subcontractors it probably does. You know, they need to enforce federal law. And, you know, a lot of contracts require those contractors to have, you know, a drug-free workplace. But what about for other employers? You know, what's been the situation in Illinois about that?
1: Yeah, so this is something that has been a big issue for many of our clients. I will say I agree with you in terms of the federal contractor piece. You know, they are required to have those policies. But notably, the Drug-Free Workplace Act does not specify what an employer has to do if someone, for example, tests positive for cannabis or another type of drug. So I think even there, there's a question as to what's the ultimate impact of those kinds of policies, even for a federal contractor. Many of our clients still have zero tolerance policies, but it very much depends on the type of client, the type of business, where they're located and what their labor pool looks like. Many of our clients have found that it's difficult to recruit if they have a policy that says, we won't hire you if you test positive for marijuana. They also are mindful of the potential need to engage in the interactive process if someone does test positive and maybe they don't want to do that or they don't want to educate themselves at the application phase that someone has a disability. So while many employers still think that they want to have these zero tolerance policies, Sometimes the practical application doesn't make sense for them anymore, or at least not in the same way it used to.
2: Another question that employers have been asking is, "What about applying a zero tolerance policy for some positions and not others?" And at least in New Mexico, the safety-sensitive positions are the easy case. You know, it's expressly allowed by law to you know to have those be drug-free, even for medical marijuana users. But, what about other positions you know key executives or high profile positions or intellectually demanding positions? What are your clients doing about that?
1: Yeah, so i I will say that many of our clients are taking an approach like you said, where they're still testing for safety sensitive jobs. They just believe that the risk of allowing someone to come into the workplace impaired without them knowing it is too high if they don't test at least at the applicant stage and what I have seen more of is our clients pulling away from testing for purposes of people who are in office environments. So even if they have, you know, a mixed group of employees, they're not testing the office employees, they are testing those who work in manufacturing or who have to drive a car for work or drive some other type of vehicle. But it's really kind of a case by case basis. You know, we always in terms of what each client is doing, we, of course, tell them that they have to be consistent, right? So if you're going to have a rule as to who gets tested, it should really be based on the job position. You want to make sure that there's, you know, appropriate criteria for testing. And then you want to make sure you take consistent action if you decide to test and someone tests positive.
2: Okay. And you mentioned impairment and that kind of brings up another really topic for our clients, which is, you know, what do you do with an employee who's impaired by marijuana on the job? And I assume that all states, including New Mexico and Illinois, allow employers to prohibit employees from working under the influence of marijuana, that is, while they're impaired. But, you know, some of the employers I've talked to are concerned that it's harder to recognize employees who are under the influence of marijuana as opposed to under the influence of alcohol. And another employer told me that he thinks that younger employees in particular are more likely to show up to work under the influence of marijuana. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's been a concern. What have your Illinois clients shared with you about their experiences about impairment of employees?
1: Yeah. So in Illinois, I think we're a little bit different than New Mexico in terms of what our law says it means to be impaired because we have kind of a specific definition which it doesn't sound like you have. In Illinois, there are things an employer is supposed to look for to have a good faith belief that someone's impaired. And those include where the employee manifests specific symptoms while working that decrease or lessen the employee's performance of their duties or tasks, including symptoms such as speech, physical dexterity, agility, coordination, demeanor. If they're acting in an irrational or unusual way, whether being negligent or careless in operating equipment or machinery or disregarding the safety of themselves or others or get into an accident that causes some type of significant damage or harm. So what's key for employers here in Illinois is understanding what the law says it looks like if someone's impaired and figuring out how to identify impairment under that definition. Notably, things that are not included in the definition are a positive test result for cannabis, as well as smelling like marijuana. So, some of this requires an employer to dig a little bit deeper to reach that conclusion. And in Illinois, if an employer reaches the conclusion that someone is impaired in violation of a policy, they have to provide the employee with the opportunity to refute that conclusion that they've reached.
2: Well, that's super interesting. I wish the New Mexico law were as specific, although. Just kind of thinking out loud here, it might be useful for employers to have the criteria that Illinois applies for determining impairment. There certainly could be a good faith basis to use those criteria to determine whether some Mm -hmm. of the influence. One question for you, Libby, if an employer, a client of yours, thinks that an employee is impaired based on the criteria in the statute, do they still send the employee for drug testing or not?
1: Yeah, so the, the law doesn't suggest that you have to send someone for a drug test if you've concluded that they're impaired. And notably, as you know, a positive test for marijuana doesn't mean necessarily that someone's actively impaired, at least from an employment perspective in the way that our law is written for employers. Many of them still will send someone to get a positive test or to see if they're going to get a positive test, because under our law, you can discipline or terminate for a positive test but some of them are simply using the criteria that's been provided in the statute to make that determination without testing.
2: So a different topic is addiction. And I've never had an employer come to me with a concern about an employee's potentially being addicted to marijuana or cannabis products. And I know that there's some controversy among scientists and other professionals about whether and to what extent people can even be addicted to cannabis. What's been your experience in Illinois about that? Have your clients seen or do they expect an increase in employees reporting that they're addicted to marijuana?
1: I don't think the majority of our clients have seen an increase in claims of addiction in relation to marijuana. They've certainly seen more positive tests, right? But there's not been this, you know, big surge of people saying, oh, I'm, I'm addicted and, and that's a disability, for example, in and of itself. Given the controversy that you noted, however, I am sure that there's a plaintiff's lawyer who could find a scientist or a doctor that says it is possible to become addicted to cannabis. So it's certainly something that our clients should all be thinking about, but it's not something that, you know, they're actively dealing with on a large
2: scale. And last, I kind of wanted to ask an open-ended question. Have there been any other issues that recreational marijuana has raised for your clients, employers in Illinois?
1: Yeah, so I think at least there's a number of things to think about, some of which we briefly talked about, you know, first is in relation to recruiting I think employers really need to think about if they want to continue to test and if they're going to continue to test, whether it's for all positions or just those that are safety sensitive, what are they going to do if they get a positive result, right? Are they going to reject people or are they going to work on counseling them, you know, saying in effect, you got a positive test, you just need to be familiar with our rules. We're going to let this go. But if it happens again, or if you come to work impaired, that's when you're going to lose your job. For some of our clients that's. A very real way of addressing this because they're having so much trouble hiring people just in general and with the additional pressures of drug testing. I think the other important thing that many of our clients have done is they're looking at their policies again. I think that a number of the policies that were written, you know, 10 years or so ago with an eye towards complying with the Drug Free Workplace Act, even if employers are not federal contractors, no longer work in the same way under the laws of Illinois or the laws of other states. So they have to reevaluate those policies and they also have to figure out, okay, if they have employees in five different states, for example, are we going to write one policy that works everywhere or are we going to write them differently for each state? And can we even write a policy in a way that works for every single state? So the last thing I think that employers have been thinking about and actively working on is training their managers to ensure that they can recognize impairment by cannabis. So, you know, to think about the different bases for an employer to conclude that someone's impaired as outlined in Illinois law, to make sure managers understand that, that they document it properly, so that if they're later challenged for reaching that conclusion, or if someone can test that conclusion, which they have a right to do, they've got the support that they need to establish that they made a good, faith decision in that regard.
2: Well, thank you, Libby. That's been very helpful. I think we'll have a lot of these issues come up. And I appreciate the advice and you're sharing that with us.
1: Jeff, thanks for having me.
0: Really appreciate it. Well, that's what makes the ELA so special is, you know, you're a member of the ELA. You need help. You can dial up another member and to our listening audience, you get to listen in on that advice. So again, thanks so much for your time, Jeff and Libby. Really appreciate you participating today. If you'd like to connect with Jeff or Libby, you can find their bios by clicking on their names in the description of this podcast. Please visit ELA.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content from the library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.